0: I'm Nick Turzo, and you are listening to The Radical. Something a little different this week, current affairs. My guest this week has been monitoring the Britney Spears conservatorship for well over a decade. Some say he is the originator of the Free Britney campaign. His pop music fan site, which was started as a teen, now regularly gets a million views per month. Joining me is BreatheHeavy.com founder Jordan Miller to discuss all things Britney we will break down the narrative of this story, including the politics and the players in this case, how a judicial system can treat an adult this unfairly, and Jordan's longtime advocacy for Brittany's release from this conservatorship. We also touch on the undue pressures Jordan has felt personally from many people, including Brittany's father, Jamie Spears. Coming up, my conversation with Jordan Miller. Hello, Jordan. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really uh, grateful and excited to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you and I know it's your busy season. Um, (laughs) So, but I do want to talk a little bit about your background and your history. And I mean, you've um, certainly understand the social media uh, game Mm -hmm. at a very extensive level. And you've had this website that When I first met you um, Mm -hmm. at our friend John and Milo's home, I was like, who's this kid? And immediately we got into your way. I can remember sitting at the kitchen table and you taking me through um, Breathe Heavy. And I was like, wow, this is like really impressive. He's so young and he did this. And this was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about... um, the idea of launching a fan site, um, Mm -hmm. the work that went into it and kind of building it into a real um, legitimate uh, community.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, um, it is an interesting perspective to be kind of taking a trip down memory lane as I've been doing frequently lately because of everything going on with, um, you know, the Free Britney movement. And it's really kind of, forced me to look at my past in a way that I didn't anticipate doing um because I've documented this whole thing that Britney Spears is in and I know we'll get to that uh, a little bit later um but yeah it's it's been a very introspective summer for me you mentioned it's busy season <laughs> it feels like it's just for the last 10 years since I've seen you it's been one long busy season <laughs> um I'm doing my best to take moments to pause and reflect, and be present, and also look ahead. But in terms of, of Breathe Heavy, and for those listening who have no idea what who I am or what this even is, Breathe Heavy started out as a Britney Spears fan site in 2004. So I graduated, or I, I finished my sophomore year of high school at 15 years old. I had spent that whole year from 14 to 15 years old learning how to create a website, because, you know, in 2004, there wasn't these drag and drop <laughs> ways to build sites how there are now, social media wasn't even a thing, and I wanted to have a Britney Spears fan site, and the rest is honestly history because I never stopped writing about her and have continued to do so throughout my adult. Adoles- had continued to do so throughout my adolescence, all through my twenties. I'm now 33 years old, and it's become something uh, in a lot of ways, completely out of my hands because breathe heavy is a full fledged community where literally in the last like 30 days, there's been more than a million people that have gone to breathe heavy. Uh, so that excludes social media. So it's become out of my hands, so to speak, because the community is the one that are really connecting one another. And it's my role to sort of quote unquote, lead this community to try to be a good example as a person to try to set boundaries because inherently, you know, there's a lot of emotionally charged topics going on. So that's kind of a brief, it's a bird's eye view, uh, look at everything. <laughs> I know there's a lot of
0: information. I'm not sure quite what you think of that or. Well, what are you, um, let's hop back 17 years, right? Look, I okay. there's, there's a lot of artists that I've loved in my life that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go to the extent of building any kind of a fan site for them, um, no matter what I thought of them. So Mm -hmm. what was the real impetus for you to go to this level of engagement as a fan?
1: Well, this level of engagement has built upon itself for these last 17 years. So where I obviously, and as people change drastically in that time span, you know, when you're 14 years old, 15 years old, that is like the stereotypical like height of this impassioned, young teenager who has, who was a fan of somebody's and I have always had a lot of energy and had a lot of energy back then. I was in gymnastics three hours a day, six days a week. And even then I felt like I still had a lot of creative energy and wanted to somehow unknowingly channel that into a website. I just specifically remember wanting to create a website I don't know why, I don't know where that came from, that drive, Uh, but it's something that's always been ingrained in me, and uh, I'm very grateful that that I kind of did that because it's put me on this trajectory uh, of where I am now, and I I like where I am now, but it's been, uh, these 17 years have been very up and down as i'm sure everyone who's listening can relate to looking back on that amount of time
0: right and so i want to get to like your discipline part of this because you know as an athlete and stuff you're extraordinarily um disciplined it's clear Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but at that time since it was kind of pre-social media i mean could what you did today happen or could it not like that's a very interesting
1: question uh I'd like to say that it could happen because I don't necessarily consider Breathe Heavy an anomaly. Uh, at the same time, Breathe Heavy is a rare breed. <laughs> it, it is rare now at this point to see. Breathe Heavy also covers pop music as well, not just Britney Spears. But because of this 10 year, first, the first 10 years was a Britney Spears fan site. On the 10th anniversary of Breathe Heavy, I made this announcement saying we're going to also include pop music coverage. I got a lot of pushback about that, but I'm very happy with that decision still. I still stand by that because although there's tons of Britney news, especially now there, we can still openly talk about other pop music news related items and it's not weird. And we can kind of, Breathe Heavy has been able to grow to be able to include more topics, which is great for any business, any project. So, but it's still, it's still, especially now, it dominates with, um, with Britney news. And uh, I remind me, okay, so remind me, I already, my <laughs> ADD already kicked in. <laughs> the discipline. All
0: I was saying is this thing was a pre, a pre-social media um, uh, venture. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in today's world, where we're all, look, I'm a podcaster, we're all drowning in like a fire hose of content. I mean, do you think you could have built something (laughs) like this independently? Oh yes. Yes. Or not. Um,
1: yes. To answer So yes. To answer that question, I, you know, my initial thought was like, no, breathe heavy is not an anomaly. It, It could happen. It definitely happened again, but there have been so many things that had to have aligned for breathe heavy to be what it is now, especially with the situation that Brittany is in, which is unprecedented in itself. So to have this kind of, Fan site stand the test of time through social media, and trust me, it's been extremely difficult. It's been hard, uh, but I, I attribute my <laughs> drive and unwavering dedication to wanting to push myself and push breathe heavy as why it's remained online for this long. Maybe on in hindsight, maybe it's not possible to do this again. You know, it, there were so many things that had to have happened. I think being around pre-social media, building such a loyal following over the years, who knows? I mean, I don't know. Actually, that's a great that's a great question. I think with social media, it would make it a lot harder at this point. Because if there's a fan site out there now, it's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. Those are where the fan site, quote unquote fan sites exist at this point. It's not like a straight up website. So maybe maybe it's not going to happen again. And if, if that's the case, I mean, that adds an even extra special s- sauce to breathe, Heavy's, uh, <laughs> to breathe Heavy's fabric of what it is.
0: Right. And you threw around some numbers earlier, you know, and of course I wasn't fully focused. So like, what, what are some of the stats of the website? I mean, currently, I mean, what have you built it into as a community?
1: So there are just over 76,000 registered members currently. So 76,000 accounts that can post on exhale. Exhale is the forum name of breathe heavy around a million people have gone to breathe heavy in the last month. So that's, that obviously is because of the free Brittany movement and it's a global movement at this point. So there's eyes around the world who are checking in and on social media, the reach is even far more expansive on Facebook. There's, uh, I think the last time I checked in the last 30 days, there was like 15 or 16 million people that had seen Breathe Heavy's posts on just Facebook. Instagram, there's 70,000 followers as of today. So I just crossed that threshold. And Twitter, there's about 50,000 followers. So...
0: Has that, that modified pretty- how you do things? I mean, like with the social media reach you now have? I mean, if you... Do you do certain things for social media that you don't do for the site? I mean, how do you, how do you feed it?
1: Yes. Great question. And yes, I do. I treat Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and breathe heavy as separate entities, so to speak, because what you can post on Twitter, I wouldn't post on Instagram and I wouldn't post on Facebook because they are different audiences. They're on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook for a reason. So you kind of have to feed the content in the way that people want to consume it on those platforms. So Instagram is much more visually rich of a platform. So I don't encourage people to go, you know, I I rarely at this point say, click the link in bio, because I just feel like people don't want to do that on Instagram. They're like, no. (laughs) And so what I've been doing is when I write a story, I just post the entire story on Instagram. You don't have to go anywhere just read it. You know, I'm just trying to give content and I found that to be actually really powerful because it gets people curious. Like, well, if he's posting this on Instagram, I want more of this and they'll go on their own organically to breatheheavy.com. So that's kind of worked out. Twitter is more of like, I just shoot off kind of more rapid fire fleeting thoughts that I have that aren't so formal.
0: Provocations.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah and facebook i i facebook is an extremely powerful sharing tool it is like uh, it kind of blows my mind i mean 15 or 16 million people in the last month have seen breathe Heavy's content on facebook like that is a staggering number that i can't even wrap my head around and it Unlike Twitter, Twitter, you can share things pretty easily, but people don't like to share things so much. Um, People don't like to retweet links, I've found personally on Twitter. They'll retweet like a a thought, but if it's going to link to a story, people aren't super down to share that. Facebook, though, Mm -hmm. totally different animal. I'll have a story that will be shared thousands of times, and it could be this I could post the same exact thing on Twitter, and it just does not get the same traction. So, Facebook's an amazing um tool to be able to share content. And then if I want to be my most authentic self, I'll do that on Breathe Heavy because I'm gonna get Facebook and Twitter are just like and no offense to anyone who's listening who follows me on those platforms, not necessarily speaking about everyone, but those are the platforms I get the most toxicity from. And like just really terrible, awful things said about to me. Every single day. Instagram's a lot better about that. People on Instagram, I feel like, root for me. And they follow Breathe Heavy and they root for Breathe Heavy. And then Breathe Heavy, I rarely get any sort of, really, any kind of hate. Because they're there to support Breathe Heavy. They know who I am. They know that i built this platform. So I don't really get people who register and then talk down to me.
0: And we um, were talking about this a little earlier because I expressed my concern, you know, even having you here as a guest kind of during this time, (laughs) Uh, um, you know, I'm certainly not a, I'll be gentle. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So how do you, um, look, I don't think people understand that someone who would start a website that's based really on entertainment, Mm -hmm. you know, I know there's a legal thing going on here and all that, but uh, that you would be on the receiving end of kind of like, Toxic or abusive type of behavior. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I think that might be surprising to some of my listeners.
1: Mm, interesting. It's surprising to me to to hear that that would be surprising to others because it. I feel I'm like old. it's. <laughs> well, I say that because it seems so ingrained in internet culture at this point that you're going to have a subsection of people that are just haters. It's like, it's unfortunate but I do think that the internet works in this way where you need this hate in some way. I know that sounds weird, but like it has to provide some contrast for all the great comments that people provide. You're never just going to have everyone love everything you do. Not everyone's going to love you. And even though in theory, I get that when I read negative comments of calling me a, a narcissistic sociopath is what I read today or just whatever. It's like, I can read a hundred nice comments. And then that comment clearly as I'm even bringing it up now, it's like, damn, like someone out there just straight up does not like me and wants to say something. They are saying this to try and hurt me. And it's when you, when you start to see how your business grows, you're going to get more comments. And my, the business model of my business is is engagement is comments is feedback and so this summer breathe heavy has grown so tremendously that i'm then receiving more a larger volume of feedback than i've ever had which means a percentage of that is negative and at first like it's been difficult to kind of like you know cope with that it's like well damn like i'm just trying to do good i'm just trying to be a good person <laughs> and people just totally don't see that. They just wanna see what they wanna see. And although I understand it's really ultimately a reflection of themselves, they don't like themselves, and they're taking it out on me. I'm still a person, I still have feelings. It still hurts my feelings when someone talks down to me. I'm like, why don't they see me the way I want them to see me, you know? Um, but it's the nature of the beast and I'm working right now with a life coach to try to understand Parts of that, that are hard for me to wrap my head around. And also from a broader view, just try to understand like who I am through all of this. Um, Cause it's a really unique time for me right now.
0: Right. Has it been difficult? You know, and I ask this a lot of like the musicians that are kind of on the show occasionally, Mm -hmm. you know, because they have success at such an early age, you know, like some in their teens or, you know, early 20s. And then you're basically defined for your whole life. And then you're 60 and you're still that kind of. Yeah. Uh, Do you have some of that you're kind of dealing with today? Like, man, I'm kind of locked where I was 17 years ago as a teenager. (laughs) It's become my career. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, Yes, I can relate to that for sure. I I am doing interviews for the most part exclusively because of Britney. So people aren't necessarily reaching out to me to talk about pop music. Um, it's brought up, but I used to actually shy away from this whole aspect of like, I don't want to be defined as this. And, and I still don't want to be necessarily quote unquote defined and be, you know, categorized or labeled, but everyone can relate to that in any area. Like no one wants to be labeled. I think This summer, hearing Britney's testimony, hearing her kind of confirm all of these things that I had been writing about for 13 years, basically unsure of how to proceed. Am I hurting her by speaking out? Am I invading her privacy? Like, what do I how do I even know what I'm saying is the truth for her to go on the record and basically confirm everything that she is in an abusive situation, that these conservatorships are deteriorating her her overall well-being. Now I look back and even though I'm like in some way attached to the free britney in some sense, now I look at it and I'm very actually super proud of myself and super grateful to be a part of it and if someone looks at me and I'm synonymous in a little way with the free britney movement or even just britney's public persona in some way, I look at that and I'm like I'm very grateful for that that's huge you know i had a gut feeling when i was 19 and i relentlessly did not let it go (laughs) i was just very stubborn in my conviction about it and i had a platform to speak and i chose to do so even getting legal threats from her dad and just facing all even in the last year getting multiple cease and desist from her former business manager and other legal stuff going on behind the scenes that's made it scary it's like I just, I'm very grateful to be a part of this. So my perspective has changed only within the last few months.
0: Right. And as a creator of this or a founder, um, was there a time Because you're shouldering a lot you just mentioned a few things, which we'll get to down the road here, mm-hmm. um, that you said, you know what, folding the tent, I've taken <laughs> enough abuse, um, not worth it for me anymore. I've tried to do mm-hmm. this community in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever cross that bridge?
1: Or how I many did. times
0: have you crossed <laughs> it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like anyone who is passionate about something, that's, at some point, I, I think it's really healthy to question yourself and, like, okay, Jordan, it's been 17 years that you've been doing this. Uh, is this good for you? Hence why I'm working with the life coach to kind of understand like what, how do I feel about everything? This has been an, I, the reason why I keep bringing up this life coach thing is because recently there was a Buzzfeed article that came out and in this Buzzfeed article, they talked to some psychologist and, and long story short, they kind of painted me out. To be, they kind of like described me to be this almost like sycophant, like this crazy fan um, where my identity so uh, ingrained in free Britney that, you know, if free Britney comes to an end because Britney finds autonomy. I don't even know what to do with myself. And that's basically how they painted me, which I don't agree with at all. But it is true in some sense, I am working with a life coach because I do find myself a part of my identity is wrapped up with breathe heavy, not necessarily just Britney, but breathe heavy, but a little in in some ways with Britney. And that's only natural. I've been writing about her for, you know, all these, all these years. I think it's important to question yourself and like, should I proceed? Am I doing good? And what do I think about all of this? But to answer your question, like, have I ever wanted to throw in the towel? Like, Yes, absolutely. And this, even this summer, I feel like I've. this has been the hardest summer yet <laughs> because there are other things going on with Breathe Heavy behind the scenes that I can't even legally get into yet that I look forward to sharing, but it has, and (laughs) I'm beating a dead horse here with this life coach thing, but I (laughs) sought out a life coach also to help me emotionally with some of this stuff, you know, to not just cave in and eat my, you know, um, push my feelings down and not pretend everything's fine when it's not fine. Breathe Heavy has been really hard. People don't see that because they're there to go and post and connect with one another. And I have taken it upon myself to, like you said, shoulder some of these emotionally trying things because I want people to have a little bit of an escape for their own lives. I can't, I don't have that same luxury with Breathe Heavy. I have to kind of take some of this on in myself and I want to keep it in because I don't want people to necessarily know all these things, but it's been kind of eating me up. So I'm kind of formulating a plan right now of how I can go about sharing certain aspects of Breathe Heavy and my business and things I've been wanting to share with people. I'm not alluding to anything. I know I'm being a little cryptic, but it's not like I'm not alluding to Breathe Heavy closing, like Breathe Heavy, I'm right or freaking die. And that's been the double-edged sword (laughs) because I'll do anything for it, you know, and anything in life that you're willing to be so right or die for is going to cause you some problems because. If you don't want to let it go, it's going to create some resistance. And so I'm just navigating what that feels like for me right now.
0: Right. So that leads me to asking, you know, let's talk about Jordan as a multidimensional human being. Um, All right. How about <laughs> that? Um, Yes. I mean, you trained uh in your youth kind of as a gymnast. I mean, a competitive gymnast, right? Very competitive. Yes. Tell me a little yeah. about that.
1: Oh, I appreciate you asking. Uh Yeah, I... I trained three hours a day, six days a week. My coach, his name was Vitaly Sherbo. He, next to Simone Biles, it's like Simone Biles and then Vitaly Sherbo as like the most decorated gymnast of all time. So he was just very intense and instilled this kind of work ethic in me very early on. You know, I had a lot of energy, like I said, but I just didn't know how to channel it. And growing up with him as my coach and, you know, being a competitive gymnast, going to the junior Olympic national championship several times, just the, how difficult it is to train 18 hours a week as a child (laughs) throughout middle school and high school, it it, it presented its own challenges of like, how do I do homework? How do I have friends? (laughs) I mean, I'm Mm. still kind of in that same boat, even like, how do I do breathe heavy and have a social life and, you know, not to mention having a full-time job as well. So yes, but being an athlete, especially being a gymnast, I am so grateful for, especially now because of the drive it's taught me, but also I, I, as much as I can try to compete in CrossFit now. And I train in CrossFit five, six times a week. And those workouts, as everyone knows, like are, uh, they're a lot. (laughs) They're just very, they're designed to be very intense. I'm always on the floor at the end of the workout, just completely gassed, no energy left. And and just being able to have had the knowledge to know how to push my body from as being a gymnast into CrossFit has been like life-changing. And I have a lot of people always across it being like, oh, I wish I had a background like that, you know, and it, mm. it was definitely, definitely something I'm very grateful for. Yeah.
0: And what, um, in your earlier years, um, with the gymnastics, I mean, uh, what made you kind of like pull away <laughs> from that then and say, wait, this is all consuming. I have, I just can't.
1: Mm. Yeah. My personality is very much like where I will just go and go and go until I literally can't anymore. So in terms of gymnastics, it was like, I was 18 years old. It's like either you're going to go to college for it or you're not. And I was so just emotionally, um, what's the word? Just like, uh, I was exhausted. (laughs) I was emotionally exhausted. I was physically beat up. I had injured my back. I had broken like just over the years, you break fingers and like I broke my hand when I was younger. I, my ankles were messed up. Like I had a, a stress fracture in my back that I had to do physical therapy for. And I was just like, I'm exhausted. So I didn't just abruptly leave gymnastics at that point. I actually started coaching immediately. So I started coaching I and mean, a coached for a number of years, actually. Which was in its own right, and actually a, a even more profound experience as a being a coach, I found than being an athlete, because you're able to kind of instill your knowledge in somebody else and see them kind of spread their wings. So I did. I was able to kind of transition it pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: You know, what's the um, what's the trigger in you that kind of finds these things that kind of take you? <clears throat> you know, they consume so much in order to be successful. Um, mm-hmm. And you seem to keep bringing them on in your life um, where it almost brings you down to, you know, a, a kind of a little bit of a shell of a human by the time the experiment is run its course.
1: Uh, uh-huh. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd quite put in those words, but it's I dramatic. Can, I, I know it, it, it's a little dramatic, but I do feel you like there is some some truth to me and my personality being like this like flame and I don't know when to stop pouring gasoline on myself to just, until I'm just like explode and there's nothing left. And this summer I did start to kind of feel burnt, like not to use this analogy, but I was feeling burnt out and that's where I've done a lot of soul searching. And, and, but it is true. Like I have, for some reason, I have this drive in me that is relentless and even, and it's just like this horse. I, I can't seem to tame. And I want to try to tame it, you know. And I'm working on it. I think it'll always be like that. I think I'll. I'll there never be a day where. In fact, I don't even want a day where this force is tamed. Fuck that. I just want to be able to learn how to like live with this, you know, and like learn how to be able to be a little more calm and present in the moment. And not to get too deep, but like one way of doing that is just to be completely sober like sand, alcohol, or anything, you know, because as you can imagine, everything I do, I take to 110%, including all that. And I have had to learn the hard way many, many times over the years. And that's a part of me that I, is very scary. I shy away from it. Me even talking about it right now is me trying to grow and trying to be more vulnerable with people in an effort to kind of quote unquote, tame this part, this like, just intensity about me. So I'm not quite sure what that means for me <laughs> moving forward, but I don't know. If anyone is listening, I'm sure you can relate to like trying just to discover like who you are and like how you can grow and how you can better. And I'm just trying to take action and find some sense of self. And I'm on my way.
0: There you go. That's good to hear. So, <laughs> and as someone <laughs> yeah. who's been, you know, I've been the pretty much sober for, I don't know, 33 years or something. So as long oh, as you've been yeah. on the earth, um, oh, wow. I suppose. Love so, that. but it just gives Congrats. you, and there was no real issue with it for me. I mean, it just gives mm-hmm. me such clarity though. And like opens up like this whole, I don't know how to say it. It just, I think the, I the other things just clutter. It just, I feel yes. like I'm so much more on an open road and it's fantastic. So
1: 100%, 100% understand that to be able to, I did, I went out, um, with some friends last night, briefly. I, I rarely go out because I do actually have a struggle with a little social anxiety as well, which is also something I'm trying to intentionally put myself into social settings to be able to like be like, "You're fine, take a deep breath." I know it's an interesting time with COVID and everything going on to like be doing this kind of thing, but just I was trying to be as safe as possible. I'm vaccinated, by the way, to everyone who's listening. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I I think being not drinking drinking is a way that I personally use to be like, all right, I can kind of relax in a social setting, but taking that away, it's like, I have to use my thoughts and go into an, a night like with a plan. And so I, and I do that in all areas, but this has been an area that has been the most challenging. Cause I think gay culture, there's just an unspoken fabric part of it. That's like, there's drinking and there could be drugs and it's just part of this and not all parts but it's there it's it's definitely there and i want to be around people i want to meet people how do i do that and also not necessarily be around all of the kind of hecticness that kind of gay culture can bring sometimes and that's not to say there aren't barbecues and events and gatherings that are, not everyone's fucked up, you know. There's plenty of other things, but I do think it's part of this culture that I'm in. Um, so I don't know. It's probably more than you. It's being for in that.
0: Vegas, you know. Does that make it a little more <laughs> difficult? I mean, uh, it, yeah. it certainly has a <laughs> reputation. So. Oh
1: yeah, I mean, I haven't lived anywhere else, so I, it's hard for me to have a different perspective. But like, I'm sure someone who's living, you know, not in a What's considered to be like a party capital, uh, you know, it, it might be a little bit easier. But I, to be honest, actually, now that I say that, I actually don't agree with that. I think you you make your surroundings. you It's up to you. So, like me saying, like Vegas is a party place, no. Ultimately, it's up to me. And yes, Vegas is very sexy. And there's a lot more, I think there's a lot of potential for things to go awry. But ultimately, you could be in anywhere and you could still implode. So.
0: Oh boy. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm glad you did that. So. Um, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because we're all about keeping your, uh, and all of our, you know, mental health and well being during COVID alone, let alone mm-hmm. kind of some of the stuff you're dealing with, with the online world, um, mm-hmm. which I yeah. guess when you do podcasts, you have less um, of that issue. So. At least you say you say so that far. now. So yeah. far,
1: Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Here they come. So. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about the conservatorship. I um, really knew nothing about Britney Spears. Um, yeah, I didn't listen to the music. Um, certainly, when the documentary came out in February, which I have not seen. I mean, mm-hmm. are you even in it? I don't even. I've never asked that no
1: i i actually did a couple pre-interviews for it and for one reason or another uh they didn't want to include me i don't know why it actually really hurt my feelings uh, at first because i felt like my ego kind of was like took a little bit of a beating like why would not they want to include me you know but that was just a very selfish stance like the documentary is profoundly great and uh, to all the you know britney fans who were able to contribute to it very grateful for them and there's other opportunities for me on the way, so I didn't make this particular you know um, project, but that's okay. Right. You know?
0: Well, I didn't see it, so um, but what it did do for me is all the reporting around it. Um, mm. I got sucked into it because mm. of the fairness issue and the total absurdity of what's happening to this woman. And having been around artists, you know, all my life, musicians who are um, Mm self-destructive, you know, having put them through rehabs and kind of been around that world a little bit, I was kind of shocked to the extent of Mm -hmm. this conservatorship. I mean, it's the most, it's just mind-boggling that any adult would be in this situation, Mm -hmm. especially when they still are expected and she still does perform, earn money, function Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, I mean, the whole cottage industry that she supports. Um, mm-hmm. So let's get into this a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, I don't want to get, there's a lot of players here, so I guess I don't want to get too mundane, but sure, let's start where this started with the LA County judge, uh, what's her name? Reva Goats? Reva Goats. Goats. Yeah. Yeah. Reva. Mm-hmm. I, so this was in 2009. Is this when it began? Two thousand eight. Eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and we're going to say okay, so that, let, Go ahead.
1: Okay. So, first of all, you asking these questions leading up to this right now is this just, dangerous for this, you. This, is this well? What Legally? <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Okay. No, I appreciate you asking that. No. Um, I think these questions that you're asking, like how could this be happening? These are all the things. That I was asking 13 years ago publicly, and for many years felt like I was speaking into the wind because people who I, who I would talk to about this are like, "How this doesn't make any sense. You can't just do this to somebody. There obviously has to be something going on behind the scenes with Britney medically that the uh, court would agree to this." And I was like, "And so I felt very gaslit for <laughs> basically for 12, 13 years." And so it starts in 2008. She is put into this conservatorship behind her back, normally conservatees. So in this instance, Brittany, they're you very usually are meant to be notified that this is happening. Don't they have to be
0: interviewed, actually, before this decision can be made?
1: Correct. There's supposed to be a process where the conservatee has the opportunity to contest it. Now, what's interesting about that is usually a conservatee is not in any sort of place mentally to be able to make that rational kind of decision-making. So what they did it seemingly is they claimed she had dementia and a judge signed off on that. Now it's very interesting to me that someone with dementia could go on a world tour a few months later and record an album and raise her children. And so these were the things that I was saying right off the bat year one, I mean, it decided
0: over a weekend, right? Or something crazy like that. It was days.
1: Yeah. It was, it was planned. It was like, we're doing this. It wasn't just like, it didn't just, it wasn't like a spur of the moment thing. It was like, we need to get her in this, you know, and there, I can understand that her 2006, 2007, like we all saw her kind of like life splashed before our very eyes. I understand there needed to be change. I don't think stripping someone of their civil liberties was the way to go about it. So I can agree that change needed to have taken place in her life, but not in this capacity. So she's placed in a conservatorship. She, Brittany, does her best to try to hire representation to help her undo what's being done. Okay, and. The court is essentially says you can't hire an attorney. You have been deemed incompetent. That's why you're being in a conservatorship.
0: And Adam so Streisand was, was he the first? She she wasn't allowed to hire him, right? That was one attorney. Correct. And then yes. John Streisand, John Erdley was Erdly. the early one who didn't who kept trying to stop this, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. He famously a, a letter that he had written. Brittany has actually just started to recirculate. Um, But this is old news if you've been following the story. This letter's not new. But essentially, he he calls exactly what's about to happen and does end up happening to Brittany. You know, her kids being kind of used as tools to force her to comply. Like, if you don't do X, Y, Z, you're not going to see your children. And because she's in a conservatorship, there's a whole custodial aspect to this where it's like you can't legally have custody of your children if you can't take care of yourself. So she's granted visitation. But she has no like real legal say in terms of what school her, you know, what school her kids go to, you know, or just any of that. So it was just this whole cascading thing that happened to her so fast. As we can see, it's taking literally years to get out of. And so that's so mind blowing to me that you can be put into something against your will. She did not want to be in it. There's voicemails out there currently, her voice, where she's, Basically pleading with, you know, and a potential attorney she wants to hire, John Ardley, to help her get out of this. She's she says that she fears her dad's gonna threaten her with her kids, like just everything. So from day one, she didn't want to be in this. Day one, she's you know, she's fighting against it. And for years and years and years, she's ignored and controlled. She's said herself that she was forced to be given medication to essentially change who she is so she would just submit. Um everything that her team back then would allege against other people. Oh, this person gave her drugs and this person's trying to control her. It, it, it turns out they were the ones doing that. Uh, just for legal purposes, allegedly. <laughs> and I mean it is what it is. Brittany said it herself. So it just turned and this is something that I obviously had no idea me covering this. I I didn't think that this would be a thing for this long. I was just speaking out about it initially because I'm like, how can this woman who I've like idolized, you know, be in this? This doesn't make any sense. And there was nobody out there for the most part, the media and the general public, I think, didn't know how to weigh in because it is so private and sensitive. It is someone's mental health and their well-being. And how do you comment on something that you don't have all the facts? So because I was young, I wasn't some sort of corporation, although I, but I did have a big following even back then. It was like, I guess it's going to be me. (laughs) I'm going to just be the one to speak out about this. It wasn't even that intentional. You know, it was just like, just, I would see something and I'd be like, this is wrong. I would see him and just over the years, just like example after example just would pop up. And I never, I feel like I was never proven wrong,
0: you know? So I just want to say, first off, you know, neither of us are attorneys. (laughs) So we're going to put that out clearly. And secondly, I'm doing this not out of the game to jump on the exploitation train. Mm -hmm. This is done because I got passionate about the unjust injustice of what's been done here to a human Mm -hmm. being who's an artist who's still expected to be an artist who still performs as an artist that everyone makes money on. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, the injustice of it drove me nuts. So I realized mm-hmm. I have to somehow have a conversation about this and not about mm-hmm. treating this with anything with exploitation. I mean, with the most sensitivity to her wellbeing. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, well Um yeah, Anyway, I just I want love, to add that.
1: I just, well, sorry. I love that you say that because I can relate to that. I, One of the biggest, like one of the harshest criticisms that I take to heart out of all of the stuff that people say is that I use Brittany for personal gain, and that that one hurts because it forces me to kind of realize like some part of that is there's a little truth to that. If you want to look at it through kind of a negative lens, here I am on a you know doing another interview, doing a podcast, and I'm you know and getting my quote unquote getting my name out there. I I get that you know. I struggle with that, I, I don't like that aspect. I try to look at it as well as like, Britney's voice has been stripped of her from her for years and I have been trying to have Breathe Heavy be kind of a place for, not, I guess it's a little weird to say for her to have a voice there, but at least to shine a light on this injustice because everyone not speaking, because if everyone decides collectively like, this is just private, we don't want to, to comment on this, then there would have been zero change for her. So it was the lesser of two evils to speak about this. And I struggle with it still to this day. I'm like still talking about Britney and free Britney, And there's a whole, there's more people following breathe heavy now than ever. Uh, Am I throwing gasoline onto this fire? Am I helping her? So it's, it's something I I struggle with too. So I, I appreciate you recognizing that.
0: Yeah. And, um, I mean, and you've studied now a little bit conservatorships. You kind of probably Mm -hmm. understand a little bit what's in the context of one. Um, Yeah. I mean, the fact here that she has no access to communicate with the outside world. Mm -hmm. How unusual is that in anyone's conservatorship for a conservatee Mm -hmm. to not have access to the outside world?
1: Well, one thing I think first we should probably like, quickly touch on is a conservatorship is designed for someone who is just completely mentally incapacitated. So like, for example, you have a parent, they are 95 years old. They just are mentally, they're just not there anymore, but they're still alive and they have assets. So you, as the, the son or daughter want to do what's best for them, you know, you want to help them. So you become their conservator so you can help them function in terms of like, Where is their money going to go if they pass away? Or while they're alive, what happens with their money? What about their house? Like you handle kind of both personal and financial decisions for them. So they're designed, they can be useful and they can be a source of good for people. In Brittany's case, it's been a total loophole and they've just completely abused the situation. So to answer your question, how, you know, anyone who's listening, I'm sure you can, your instant reaction is like, if anyone gets cut off from the outside world, that's called prison. <laughs> that's what that is. They have essentially in some way kind of put her in this jail for simply having a past, for simply being famous and not knowing having the tool, the emotional tools at that point as a 25-year-old to handle super startup. How is anyone on the in on earth gonna be able to be, handle what she handled? So it's super unfair what they've done. She just posted a video, I think, what, three days ago from the time of this recording where she says, I got an iPad. It's the first time I ever had an iPad. She's so excited. And it's like, it's like, on the one hand, I was genuinely happy for her. And then on the other hand, I was genuinely sad for her because I'm like, that's really upsetting that this multi, multi multi-millionaire celebrity was not able to tap into her own financial resources to just buy an iPad. She has to get all these kinds of um, you know, things approved by her financial conservator, which by the way, is her father, whom she claims is abusive towards her and she wants to file charges against. So and and the iPad is interesting because it's like that is a form of communication. She, so <laughs> just the fact that someone can't openly communicate with people. That's, that's just so unjust to me.
0: Right. And like, as of today, I mean, what is her um, access to her own children?
1: Mm. I mean, that's a good question in terms of access. They, one thing I, I do respect is she, they, she does her best to not kind of keep like pull her children into this swirling vortex that's going on right now she used to be a lot more open about them. But I think in light of everything, she's kind of not included them in, on her Instagram. At the same time, there's a lot of speculation that she isn't allowed to see them as frequently as before, which is heartbreaking if that's really the case. In terms of the legal side of things, you know, I just touched on this. As far as I know, she has zero custo Custody. So she has visitation, but she, Kevin Federline, her ex, I believe has 100% of the custodial rights. So I would imagine, I hope this doesn't happen, but I would imagine once the conservatorship dissolves, which I do believe it's on its way out, I fear there's gonna be a bit of a custody thing then because she's gonna be like, look, the court says that I am competent and I can make these decisions and I want to be able to have um, you know, legal say in my own children's lives that it's been taken away from her for all these years. And these, her kids are teenagers now. So there's only kind of a few years left until they turn 18. So I just fear that there's going to be that, that ensues afterward. I hope not, but K fed his livelihood depends in some way on Brittany's situation. He, I believe does not have a job. So he's making all of his money from Brittany So he's going to want it. I feel like it's in his best interest in some way that she stays in this situation. Her whole family's in that boat, which is the problem, you know?
0: Right. So I'm going to skip back, skip ahead. Um, Sure. I mean, look, it's a tragedy, a travesty that we're talking about this in years of, you know, in like a decade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't want to like, Act as though ah, let's just talk about the current situation because now we got some action going, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus what she's been through for ten years prior or whatever, mm-hmm. thirteen years prior. So we had she had a kind of an ineffectual attorney named Samuel Ingham. Is that who represented her on her side of? The- yeah, <laughs> he was her yes. attorney for about uh, thirteen years. Yes, yes, court appointed.
1: Court so appointed. Just gonna yeah, I just want to make that super clear to everyone that she did not hire this person, and this person, in my opinion. Did not go to bat for her.
0: Right. So now here comes the cavalry. Um, Mm -hmm. Matthew Rosengart is her new attorney, who is a former U.S. attorney in the Department of Justice in the Clinton administration. So he's a real, Mm -hmm. real attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, And have you noticed uh, the change in the procedures uh, since he's been kind of brought into the picture?
1: 100%. So like I mentioned, how Sam Ingham is the court-appointed attorney, Matthew Rosengart is Brittany's choosing. Britney chose him. So that's a very important thing to clarify because Britney has not had a lot of say in anything. She's been denied having a say. She's been denied having her own lawyer. So the fact that this was even need to have been approved in the first place, a conservatee should be allowed to be able to hire an attorney of their choosing, period. The court should never say, well, you're not confident. You can't make that decision. So it's important just to like double down on that in terms of the procedure. Yes, he is. There's someone stepping up for Brittany because her family, in my opinion, just hasn't. And in terms of like seeing progress, there was a court hearing that the, the judge wanted for December. And this is par for the course. They make these court hearings. So right now it's August when this court hearing was decided, I believe it was the end of July. So the judge is like, yes, five months from now we'll reconvene. Well, when when there's something on the conservatorship side that needs to be addressed, they'll do a meeting within a week. So when Brittany wants something, it's like five months goes by. Keep in mind, all these people are getting paid throughout these five months, so it's in their best interest to extend this as long as possible. Rosengart said, no, we're going to need to move this up to September. Okay, the judge shockingly agreed to that. He's come back as of this week and says look, we need this to be moved actually to August because any, every day that passes that Jamie Spears, Britney's father, is in power is a detriment to Britney's mental health. She, he says that she has trouble sleeping, she's traumatized. So every day that passes where he still has a say is hurting her. So we need to get this court date moved up even sooner. That to me is huge because it's like, and he said multiple times, Jamie Spears needs to step down or he's going to pursue getting him forcibly removed. And in my opinion, it's going to happen. It's like a whole world is watching Jamie Spears, even as of this week is still hanging on for dear life, just making all kinds of different claims and fighting with Britney's personal conservator, a woman named Jody Montgomery. They're all pointing fingers. Meanwhile, they're all making money during this. So,
0: and that was a part I, I found know. interesting yesterday, right? Cause they mm-hmm. kind of basically pointed guns at each other, uh, Jamie yep. and Jody. Um, yes. and now Jody has an attorney representing her. Yeah. It's a mess anyway, but Jamie Spears did have the, you know, audacity yesterday to say that, you know, his daughter's mentally sick. Um, uh, yeah,
1: that's the, this is the narrative that's been going on for this entire time and they've done what they've done is they've, in my opinion, like, look, I'm, I'm no doctor. Okay. But from a bird's eye view, I can imagine your entire, your father, maybe her entire family. I'm not sure of the dynamic of all of them, but if you're being told you're crazy, you're, you're sick, you're whatever they want to say. And then you're having this like infrastructure set up around you to keep everyone at bay, to cut off your communication, that's going to affect you mentally. And maybe it starts to ask you, you start to question yourself. Well, maybe I am, maybe I, maybe I do need these kinds of safeguards in place. Maybe I am this way. That's one of the most insidious things I think about this whole situation is to kind of like gaslight somebody and make them feel a certain way when they're really not that way. So I think Brittany cutting communication off from her father has been able to give her some of that distance to be like, look, they want to try to paint me to be however I want. It doesn't mean that I am this way. And I'm, I personally, I'm not saying that Brittany doesn't have any sort of, uh, you know, Things that she struggles with. Everyone has things that they struggle with. And even if she, you know, has whatever the her team of medical doctors say she has, that still doesn't equal lose your rights in perpetuity. Right. It just doesn't.
0: Well, let me ask you about that. Since I've been around artists who were completely self-destructive, um, ended mm-hmm. up, you know, basically killing themselves with addiction and such in the 90s, yeah. musicians, male. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help to see. This is my own humble conclusion, but yeah, I'm just seeing a ton of sexism in this whole thing, man. Because I mm-hmm. haven't seen any of my guy artists who are just as wealthy as she is. No one was busting a move on them like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Am I crazy or no?
1: You are. You're definitely onto something. I mean, uh, there is a reason why there's been an element of control in Britney's life, even way before the conservatorship. In 2001, she released a song called Overprotected that kind of like soundtracked the movie she did, Crossroads. But the lyrics, if you go back and listen to the song, reflect the situation she's currently in still. She's always been, like, I think that's how her father views himself is he's protecting Brittany, And it's like, he can't even see how he's trying to destroy her. You know, he thinks that he's, that's his form of love. I think that's how he truly sees. It. I think he's totally blinded himself. He's not. He's not given himself. He doesn't. I don't think he has the emotional intelligence to be like, "I'm doing something really horrible." Like I just think he thinks I'm her father. I'm helping her. The whole world doesn't understand. They're not there. They haven't seen. And it's like, it's almost like a strength of everyone's to be able to not be so in inside the bubble. So you can see. It's like, yeah, we don't know you, but like, based off everything that's come out. Including Brittany's own testimony. This is a super, like, no pun intended, like, toxic situation. This whole thing needs to, the fact that it's still happening, the fact that it, it takes all of these motions and meetings to get her father out of legally out of the picture. I don't know what the probate court system is trying to prove. I don't know if they think this will maybe set a precedent for other conservatorships or other people will say they want so and so out. I don't know what the deal mm-hmm. is, but it's like, This should be looked at, honestly, as a very unique situation because of her stardom and her wealth. Mm. Most conservatives are not hyper-famous. So this should be treated kind of as a one-off thing. Let this woman be free. Let this woman legally be free.
0: Right. But I think the narrative, as you just said earlier, with her father, is to put her so far down
1: the Mm -hmm. rabbit hole
0: Mm -hmm. that anyone in a conservative court system— has seen how it ends for celebrities with any kind of mental health or drug issues. Usually it ends usually tragically. Um, Yeah. I think they don't want that blood on their hands, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. Figuratively speaking. So, yeah,
1: no, I think, I think that that reasoning is why this was allowed to happen in the first place. It was like, well, we don't want, you know, Brittany to die like some of these other stars. So we're going to put this kind of safeguard in place. So looking back it's like like i mentioned i do understand the need for some type of change and fine say we roll with this say conservatorship needed it first year fine whatever like i don't personally agree but let's just for the sake of this let's just say we needed it for a year why the hell was it extended to be to the point where it's made permanent after one year that's where things get extremely problematic some of the things i was writing in year one was that if a conservatorship is going to need to be in place and it needs to be with someone who's independent and not. there's not a, a financial and personal gain. There's not an incentive for this person to be doing this job. And her, it's a huge conflict of interest for her father to be in this role. How about you step down? You know, he's had a lot of health troubles in the last year or two. Why not spend your, you know, your last era, your last part of life, Mending your relationship with your daughter. How about you focus on that? Get therapy, you know, but it's like this, this mentality. He's just, I think he himself is kind of down some sort of rabbit hole, not Britney. Right.
0: And is his team dissembling? I mean, is Lou Taylor still part of it? um, Who's had some interesting allegations uh, Mm -hmm. sent her way. And Mm -hmm. uh, I see Larry uh, Rudolph ran for the exits um, mm-hmm. so is this all starting to kind of crumble
1: a hundred percent? It's crumbling. Absolutely. The reason why Larry Rudolph resigned is because in my opinion, Brittany wants nothing to do with him. So there's that. And also, even though he denies playing any sort of type of role, there was control there. There just was, it was a collective effort. It wasn't a singular person. It was like, we all collectively agree as a team. This is how it's going to go. And in terms of Lou Taylor, I mentioned some cease and desist earlier. I don't even know if I mentioned her, her name, but it was from her.
0: And I could have guessed that, but go ahead.
1: Yes, it was from her. And she wanted me to put out kind of some clarification via her lawyer. She says that she has no, she played no role in the inception of the conservatorship and um, amongst other denials that she sent my way. And this happened on two occasions. She sent me a cease and desist. And what's interesting about her denying having any sort of role in the conservatorship is she was physically there around Jamie Spears at she was at the hospital that Britney was you know committed to in 2008. So to say you had no no say in it, no role, in my opinion, is uh, it's up for debate a little bit. And one thing with her that's kind of being looked at is that hundreds of millions of dollars of Britney's money appears to have been siphoned. You know, Britney's net worth is estimated to be 60 million officially. Unofficially, people are around the figure of like 600 million. And there's a graph that I actually recently posted showing all of um Lou Taylor's business companies and entities attached to her name and it was like just the the graph is mind blowing because of how many companies she's attached to. And not that I'm saying that this happened, but it could—it could, in theory, be relatively easy to siphon a lot of money, launder money to a lot of different companies when you have that kind of wide reach. Um, but I'm not saying that she did that. I'm just saying that it could look that way. Right. And so um, she's uh, she's trying to distance herself as much as possible from the situation. But in my opinion, I think her name's going to come to light. In a in a big way, in the next year or so, and it's going to be hard for her to kind of hide from these things that I think she wants to sweep under the rug.
0: Right. All right. So you've read these tea leaves pretty correctly um, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here comes the big question.
1: How does okay, it end? How does it, it
0: end? <laughs>
1: <laughs> How does it end? I'd like for it to end period. <laughs> like, I'd like for, you know, free Brittany has been a really important and in some way, beautiful kind of thing in my life. I don't say it because I, I like Britney's situation by any means. but when I say that is because it's united, like millions of people, that to me is just very special. And to have been a part of that is something that I'll always kind of hold dear to my heart moving forward but i think it will end i think free britney will come to an end i look forward to that day i look forward to the day we don't need this movement the free britney movement i do think that britney will legally be out of these conservatorships both personal and financial i like to see her have some type of infrastructure around her where there's people that root for her for her autonomy and for her mental health and her mental well-being and her physical well-being people who are like life coaches and physical trainers and people who want to see her succeed and aren't in it because she's Britney Spears and she's, you know, makes a lot of money. It's like, they, they seen how she's charmed the world and they want to help her continue to do that. And personally a little selfishly I've always wanted to work for her that I think that's how Breathe Heavy started subconsciously is like I wanted to kind of see if I could try to get her attention in some way to be like I I would be a great professional for even though I was only 14 or 15 like I've just always wanted to work for her so I still want to (laughs) and I I would like to think I'd be someone who'd be good for her in a professional sense because not only am I a fan of her her music and know what sounds good for her and and a vibe that could be really resonate with a lot of fans. But I have, in my opinion, always tried to put her well-being first. And if there was ever a time where I had to question something, I would, I would address it and I would face it head on and make sure that I treated her treated her with respect. And so I'd like to just selfishly see that for me. But for her, I'd like for her to be rid of the situation legally. I'd like for her to do whatever she wants to do moving forward. So if that means she doesn't ever want to work again and I don't get to fulfill that dream of mine, so be it. I want her to feel fulfilled. And I think that that sense of fulfillment will bring her happiness. And I think one thing that's fun to remind people is, is yes, we're speaking about her, her humanity and her civil liberties right now because they're at stake. But there's a reason why we're all have been enchanted in and, and one way or another. Even if you're a casual fan, even if you don't care about her music at all, you can understand for, on a basic human level what's going on is, unru- is unjust. And I think so many other millions of people have fallen in love with Britney because she's this artist, because she's an entertainer, because she gives people that kind of escape that I mentioned I want Breathe Heavy to be for some, she gives that to millions more people every single day through her music. And I hope that she kind of rediscovers that part of herself in the future.
0: And that would be awesome. So we all root for that for an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, I just find it fascinating to your motives or question when you've kind of been at this for as long as you have. And I just find that there's all these other new sites, right, that have kind of, a little cottage Mm. industry that's kind of cropped up in the last couple of years um, Mm -hmm. or even around the most recent things. So, I'm thinking, well, I don't know. That's Mm kind of, I don't know. (laughs) Direct your fodder that way. (laughs) Jordan's kind of been in this for the long haul. Um, Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. but listen, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your overview and uh, trying to guide us through this, which it's an injustice clearly Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want you to stay safe and to protect your own mental well-being. And uh, let's keep these um, people away from you, these 'er um. (laughs) (laughs) ne'er-do-wells.
1: Yes. Yes. I I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for having me. I, I just want, you know, just to touch on that briefly. Yes. There are some people out there that don't wish me well and I, I get it. However, the overwhelming majority of feedback i get is love, positivity. i'm so grateful for that. that's what i hold on to honestly. it has people support not just in the in the britney realm, but just me as a person. anyone who's at this point made it to this part of the podcast, who's listening, like i have so much love for you because you are just showing a general interest in me and I I know that these are just words, but I genuinely feel a lot of gratitude for that. And I hope that I can continue to do good in the world and just appreciate all, all the love and support.
0: That's awesome. I hope that that's the case. So I hope that all is the big tidal wave that overwhelms <laughs> all the uh, undertow. So yes, yes. All right, my friend will stay healthy. And I'm really grateful that you took time to kind of share this with me. I know how Deeply and how uh, detailed your observations of the situation have been for over uh, a decade, 12 years, 13 years. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.